The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad that you could join me for the show today. Be present. So thanks for being present with me. I'm Diane Ray, and I have some amazing guests today. So I'm really excited to kind of just dive in. You know, it's going to be an incredible conversation. So we're going to have a kind of a a two-parter. So I've got a guest for the first segment and then a guest for the segment and maybe the two shall uh, shall meet also in the second. So we'll we'll see what happens. You know, it's just kind of going to be a fun and easy, informative conversation, hopefully entertaining. <laughs> I hope it'll be entertaining for you. So I want to introduce my first guest, and I'm really happy that she could join me on the show today. Serena Dyer is my first guest, and she's one of eight children in the Dyer family. She's a mother of two with one on the way, and the author of the book, Don't Die With Your Music Still In You, that she co-wrote with her father, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And she has a website I hope you check out, serenadyer.com, where she shares some stories of her family, her spiritual journey, and her travels, just in a really honest and authentic way. I was on the website a little bit earlier today uh, reading some of the stories, and I check her out on Facebook and Instagram as well. And Serena, I'm so glad that you can join me today. Thanks for finding the time. Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be talking to you. You're a very familiar voice for me. You did the radio with my dad for years and years. Yeah, and you were saying right before we went on that you still listen to some of those uh, old shows, which makes me feel good. I do. Actually, the the first sign I had from my dad after I received the news that he passed away was in the form of the podcast that you guys did together. Um, and from that point on, I've been kind of catching up from years of not listening to now now getting as much as I can. So I listen to you both all the time. Oh, that's so great. I love that. Yeah, those shows are, are all still available. And I was lucky enough to be able to to work with your dad, I guess it was like eight years, I think we did that show. He did it for probably 10 or 11 total. And it was something that he always really loved to do. And I learned so much from him uh, every week, just listening in to the people that would call in. And it was interesting when we first started during, doing the show, we did more of a set format, you know, like we were tying it to the books that he was working on at the time. And then he just said, you know what, I don't want to do it that way. He said, I just want to talk to people. I just want to take calls. So that's kind of how we did it. Like I never knew from show to show what was going to happen, you know, so he might riff on something that was in the news or something that happened at home in Hawaii. And, you know, so it was just, it was great. You know, every Monday I would look forward to, to talking with him and and I always thought, boy, he's got it made. You know, I'd say, so what were you doing today? Like swimming with the turtles, you know, or something <laughs> like that. And he would yeah. always share what was going on in his day. So I really look forward to that interaction. 
with him. Well, you guys it, had a great connection. It definitely comes through on all of the podcasts that I've heard. That's for sure. Oh, well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I think that's cool that, that you're listening in because sometimes I get emails from people that, you know, they're still going back. And I, I guess, you know, people really, I mean, they loved your dad so much. I mean, you know, he's, he's your dad. I wonder, it must be weird to think of him as, you know, being such like an, an influence to people and such a big presence. But I'm sure you heard that after he passed, just the reaction from people about how much that he meant. Yeah, I have to say, I didn't really have as much of an awareness um, in terms of how impactful he was on people's lives until after he passed. And I think partially that is because I took it for granted when he was alive. I I did not read his books very often, and I didn't um, listen to the podcast when he was alive. And I, I didn't because I could call him on the phone and we could have a chat and I was with him all the time and I could attend his lectures and I had a, a father-daughter relationship with him much more than a, an admirer of his work. And it was after he passed away and there was such an outpouring of love and also grief in terms of people feeling like they lost a father or they lost a, a spiritual guide or teacher or friend or a confidant. And it was through realizing how much he impacted people's lives that I started to pay more and more attention to his work, which is why I'm, you know, I'm thrilled to be doing this today and, and writing and working sort of in his footsteps, although those are really big footsteps to follow in, but I'm thrilled to be doing this work because I can see how impactful he was on so many people's lives. And I didn't really have that awareness until he passed. Right. That's so interesting. I mean, I would, discover that sometimes in just talking with people when I'd be out. Like I remember one time I was at a happy hour with a coworker. You probably remember Stacy um, from, uh, from Hay House. And we just uh -huh. met some random person at the bar and we're like, Hey, you know, we're talking, what do you do? And then, you know, we talked about publishing and then your dad's name came up and, and this just random stranger just shared a story about how he had met your dad on the beach in Hawaii. And they had this like life changing conversation. It, it was just incredible that, you know, he would have that kind of impact and you would just run into people that were touched by him. So that must have been just really an amazing realization, you know, for you, because he was dad, like you said, he was, you know, you would call him and he was your dad and, you know, just kind of that presence there all the time. And then to see how he affected people out in the world, you know, must have been just really an amazing realization. Yeah, exactly. Because when he was alive, I didn't, I didn't have that longing to be exposed to his work. Like I said, I was, I was able to pick up the phone and call him or spend time with him or, or be with him on Maui for months on end. So his work was sort of separate from me. And I was always interested in it. I was always fascinated by the people that he would meet and the stories that they would tell and people like Anita Morjani or Immaculate or just so many different people that we were exposed to over the years. But I didn't, I didn't long to know him in the way that I do now, now that I don't have him to pick up the phone and call. So it's like, it's been a discovery for me of a person that I can't say if I were to go back, it would have been any different because he would have still been my father. And I probably would have still taken for granted how, how impactful and, and incredible his teachings were. But I like to think that they, they rubbed off on me through my upbringing and that sort of thing. And so now I'm able to kind of go back and, and get exposure to him in a way that's really fulfilling for me in, in terms of missing him, but being able to rediscover him in this way. Right. That's so interesting. You know, I mean, his, his books, I guess, how many did he have 
at the end like 40 or 38 or something yeah, like think, that. I mean, he I has he was so prolific maybe. You know, and he has such an amazing catalog of work, you know, so people have really relied on him over the years as this amazing teacher, but I think there's some things you could probably share with us that people might be surprised to know. Um and I I think one of them was I I thought he was really funny. Like he had such a great sense of humor and I don't think people would think think of him in that way. Yeah, he did have a great sense of humor. He had a, a really raunchy sense of humor. Actually, he loved he loved <laughs> he crass jokes. You know, he loved um, bathroom humor. He was he was a uh, you know he spent years and years in an orphanage, and I think that he was around a lot of boys growing up because of that. And that humor definitely rubbed off on him. So he had a, a very dry, quick wit about him. I think when you saw him live, you saw some of that. You know, that oftentimes the audience would be cracking up over some of his jokes. And um, and I definitely connected with him in that way because growing up, he was always a really fun parent. He was really playful and silly and always kind of coming up with ridiculous jokes and stories to tell. And I think another thing that would probably be surprising for people, in fact, I know it is surprising for people because you and I are, are friends on Facebook, so you know that I'm politically um, inspired at times. And my dad was very politically involved and motivated. And I get messages sometimes from people that are like letting me know that, that I should turn off the news or not pay attention because my father would recommend that. And I'm always surprised to hear that people don't realize how, how caught up in the happenings of the world he was. I mean, he was very connected with the news and politics and what was going on. Now it didn't, it didn't drive him mad. Like it, you know, like, political debates can, but he was definitely really involved in causes that meant something to him. And I think a lot of people uh, are surprised to hear that. That's so true. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the questions that I was going to ask you because he he was very aware, you know, of, of what was going on in the world and, and he had his opinions about things. And I just, I, I would always think like, especially over the past, you know, few years, what you know i wish i could i could have a conversation with him you know what he would think about some of the things going on and in particularly one thing that he brought up that he felt strongly about was the issue of gun violence and gun control and i just i'm sure he saw you know i'm sure he saw those protesters and you know you grew up in florida and probably you know familiar with marjorie stoneman douglas or you know you know where it is so there's that connection to place as well like what do you think he would he would be you know, how, how would he process that, you know, that information? Like what was oh, going on with those students? I'm sure he would have thought that was amazing. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas is about 15 minutes from my home. It's, it's literally my community. Um, I think that he would be and probably is weeping the same tears that, that God would weep whenever there's violence committed from one suffering individual on others, particularly in the form of gun violence and particularly in schools. I remember when the Sandy Hook massacre happened, um, the the tears that he was shedding just constantly over the loss of these precious lives to something as as preventable as gun violence. At least that's how he felt. And he was a huge, huge advocate for gun control, for smart gun control, gun safety measures. And after the Sandy Hook shooting, he actually became close friends with one of the um, one of the victim's mothers, Scarlett Lewis, and he started to help her launch her career 
or not even her career, really, her movement in, in terms of honoring her son, Jesse, who passed away at Sandy Hook um, on, that, on that dreadful day. And he became involved in promoting her message, which was to choose love over hate, over violence, um, and to also get safe and reasonable gun measures out there. So this was a cause that, that broke his heart while he was alive, and I'm sure it continues to after his passing. Right. I just, I'm, I wish I could have heard, you know, what, what he would have thought or had to say after, after those incidents and just, you know, things going on, you know, environmentally, politically, but yeah, you're right. He really did have, um, you know, some strong feelings about that. And it kind of made me think too, of some of the things that he would say, you know, on the show and how he would handle those kind of things. Like I remember one in particular where he said that, he, and you could probably verify this. He said he had a picture of Rush Limbaugh in his office and that he would he would kind of meditate and think on that as ways to handle people in situations, you know, to to try to feel love for that person. He did, actually. And I know he got the idea from Ramdas because Ramdas lives out in Maui and we would go see him all the time. And Ramdas had an altar. And uh, at the time, I remember one of the times we went there, he had a big framed picture in the center of his altar of George Bush, who was president at the time. And I remember my dad asking him about that. And he said, he needs my prayers and my love and support more than anybody. And that was something that I saw them discuss firsthand. And that was something that my dad felt very strongly about the idea that as much as you may get caught up in politics and being anti someone, um, as Mother Teresa said, she would never march against violence, but you find her in a march for peace any day. Uh, I botched that a little bit, but you get the point. She was always wanting to be for something instead of against. And just energetically, that was something that my dad and Ram Dass discussed in front of me. And that is absolutely true. My dad would say, you know, as much as he would get caught up in feeling angry or frustrated or hopeless over certain political situations or international crises, it was just as important to him to have to remember to take a step back to meditate, to pray, and to send love for those that, in his view, really needed it the most. Right. And that's something that I hear him him say, you know, there were so many great lessons that, that I, I could take away. And that was one that, that stood out because I can imagine in his office, you know, him having that picture. And I've, and I've used that, that technique myself to try to have love and compassion you know, for people that I don't agree with, you know, or, or can't stand, or I'm having a disagreement with. So uh, those, those practices work and they stay with you. And, you know, I remember times like I'd be in a gathering with people and I'd say, oh, well, you know, Wayne Dyer said this, or, you know, like you'd kind of throw it out like at a cocktail party or something, you know, but those lessons really, really stay with you. And I mean, do you hear those kind of things in, in your head a lot too? Like those, those lessons and, and affirmations like that? I do. I mean, mostly what I hear him say is for me to just find love in response to hate and to go to that place within me that recognizes that we're all connected, that we're all one, and that no tree has branches so foolish as to fight amongst itself, that we're all branches on this tree of humanity. And when we engage in a battle, even if it's a silly battle on Facebook, that we're just creating more of the stress and fear and anxiety and hate and tension that we don't want in the world. And I I feel like he has to remind me of that. And I have to remember that all the time because I definitely get caught up in uh, uh, 
things that I'm passionate about where I think that something is wrong or somebody is doing something wrong to somebody. And I feel him say all the time, your highest self wants peace. Go to that place of peace. When you engage in these fights or these battles or these conflicts, you're only doubling the amount of, of, of disturbance in the room. And what you want to do is bring the peace that it is that you're seeking. And I feel like I hear him or feel him or even just think that I hear him remind me of that all the time. That's such a great lesson. I always hear him too saying, you know, don't say it's hard when that book Excuses Be Gone came out and people would call up on the show and say, oh, I want to change my life. I want to do this. And then they would have one excuse after the other. And he would tell, remind people, you know, don't keep saying that. Don't say that it's hard. And I was just even just doing this just today and yesterday because I'm trying to learn this computer program that's driving me crazy. And I'm like, oh, it's too hard. I can't do it. You know, that I would remember in my head, okay, don't use that excuse. Quit saying that, that it's too hard. Quit saying that affirmation. So those are just, just great lessons. And I'm sure those are things you're going to pass on to your children as well. I hope so. I hope that I can pass on the awareness that he passed on to me, um, which was this idea that we're all sort of the masters of our own fate and life isn't just happening to us. It's responding to us. I think that that's something that I try and demonstrate for my girls, but I fail from time to time. But, you know, I get back up and try and remind them again that, that life is responding to me and what I put out there is what I'm going to get back. And I have to remember that because we've been through so many crises in my, uh, my small family in the last three or so years that there are times when it feels like you can just become so consumed with stress or fear or anxiety. And I have to remember that these are lessons that I signed up for and that I can get through them and that life is responding to me. And, um, and I hope that I pass that, that awareness onto my children for sure. And you have faced some real challenges in your life that you've been open about and you've written about it on your website and your blog. Um, like the, the death of your stepson Mason at a young age was just so tragic. And you wrote something about, him coming to you in a dream that was really touching. And what do you feel that you learn when you're faced with that kind of adversity? Like, how have you grown from those experiences? Well, when I got the news of Mason's passing, which was uh, less than a year ago, um, my immediate feeling was obviously profound grief and sadness over the loss of this young life, of this young man that I loved and adored and has been my stepson for, you know, almost a decade. Um, but I also felt overwhelming guilt and shame. Like I had somehow caused this or contributed to this. And I know that that's not uncommon for a parent or a step parent or somebody in that parental type of role to feel when somebody dies uh, from a drug overdose, like he did, or a suicide or something like that. Um, but really I felt so much guilt. Like I could only remember the times that I had been mean or that I had been petty that I had focused on things that were unimportant and how I wished that although our relationship became enormously better over the years, I, I just wished that I could have expressed that love that I felt for him in the last few years, that I could have expressed it all the years that I had him in my life. And the dream that I had was just a few days after he died, my husband, his father, uh, Mason's father knew that I was feeling so much guilt and he was feeling his own emotions and, uh, he so generously reminded me that I would not be able to get signs from Mason or connect with him 
if I stayed consumed by the guilt. And I thought, okay, I'll try. I'll try and let it go. I'll try and remember the love and the laughter, but I was really struggling. And um, I was drifting off to sleep and I had this memory. I was still awake, but I was drifting off to sleep of Mason and I laughing. uh, And we were really scared. We watched a horror movie. This is when he was alive. And we were both really scared. We had the alarm on. And my husband came home and was just making fun of us. And I thought of that as I was falling asleep and it just made me smile. And that night he actually came to me in a dream and, and he was dancing uh, with our daughter, Sailor. And he was holding her because she was still a baby and he was just glowing and he looked beautiful. And I immediately went up to him and I said, can I touch you? And he said, yes. And I held his hands and I said, do you love me? And he said, I do. And he laughed. And I said, do you know that I love you? And he said, I do. And he laughed. And I said, do you forgive me for all of the things that I did? And he laughed again and said, of course, and acted like it was nothing. And then he said, and then I asked him if he saw my dad and he laughed again and said, yes. And then he said, before I go, you have to understand I want you to remember this. And I said, okay. He said, new teachers are emerging. And then he sort of just like faded away. And I woke up with tears just flowing. I was so impacted by this. I I, I know that it was a real visitation from him. Nobody could ever convince me otherwise. Um, And I felt like that was a gift that he came to me to say, please don't continue on with this guilt, it's not going to serve you. It's not going to get you anywhere. And that there will be new teachers emerging. Now, what that means, I don't really know. Maybe it means out of the experience of losing him, of the grief of yet another death in my my very close family. I, I was so touched by his visitation, though, that I decided from that point on that in honor of him and the gift that he was offering to me, I could not stay consumed by the fear and the guilt and the shame because he clearly did not want that for me. Wow. That, what an incredible story. I mean, when I read it, I was just amazed. It just kind of gives me chills to hear you, um, to hear you say that. So do you feel, do you think you're more, you're more open to those kind of experiences now? Not that you weren't before, but do you feel a little more open to those kind of things happening? Absolutely. I think that I grew up open to them because when you grow up with like an Uncle Deepak and you grow up with people that are doing, uh, you know, uh, transcendental meditation around you starting from the age of five, I think you kind of are forced to be open minded. So I was definitely open. And when my father passed away, it was sort of the first time I really had to tap into that. Um, but since then, with all of the things that we've continued to have happen, and then with the most recent loss of Mason, I absolutely think that it's opened me up to a whole new world of not just compassion for myself and for others, but just of this awareness that we really are all connected, that the soul goes on, and that um, when the body expires, so to speak, the, the soul does not. And I feel that I've had without a doubt confirmation of that time and time again from both my dad and Mason. Right. And we're going to talk with Karen uh, when we bring her on in just a few minutes about your experience with her and the book that she wrote, uh, We Consciousness. And I I have to ask you, though, like at the time that you first met her, what I mean, were you kind of skeptical or what what did you think when she told you about that, that she was receiving messages? Well, I was definitely skeptical because there had been several people that had reached out that said um, to my siblings and my mom and myself that they were getting messages from my dad. And 
And most of the people that reached out had very, very vague messages or things that didn't make any sense to us at all, or it was clear that they were trying to capitalize on um, being a channel of Wayne Dyer. And that was something that I was very skeptical of. With Karen, it was different because uh, when we when we all met in person at this uh, celebration of my father's life in Orlando after he passed away, she wasn't coming to us with messages or pushy at all. I happened to sit next to her on a bus um, with my sister Sage, and we just started talking about uh, dream visitations and and I had I had been on Karen's radio before, but we hadn't talked about any of this sort of thing. Um, and so shortly after that, she reached out to Sage after we met in person, and she was just very calm and very loving, and her energy was very safe feeling. Um, she reached out to Sage with a very specific sign, a very specific message, and it was exactly what Sage had been experiencing. And then we set up a, a meeting for Sky. Sage, those are my sisters, my mom and myself, to go meet her in New Jersey and have a session with her. And Karen is a very petite, soft-spoken woman. And when we came in, it was like she was really uh, channeling my dad. It was it was very much his tone, which was, come on, let's go. I can't believe you guys have to go to the bathroom again. I want to get started. What's going on? Like, that's exactly how he would have sounded when we were running late for school when we were kids or he was trying to rush us out the door. And she just jumped right in. And there were things that we had discussed as a family that we wanted to hear from him if it was really him that were not public things, that were not things that were written about. And she touched on every single one of the things that we had discussed, hoping to hear from him if it was really him. Um, Not to mention telling me that I was pregnant and that my dad was congratulating me on the baby and saying, fireworks, 4th of July. And I was thinking, well, you know, my dad met Sailor. She's five months old. I don't think he would be talking about Sailor, you know, congratulating me on her. He already met her. And Karen, and I said that. I said, you know, I don't think my dad would be saying that to me. And she looked right at me and she said, no, honey, your dad is saying you're pregnant. Fourth of July, you're pregnant. And I was like, well, I have a five-month-old, so um, I'm hoping that this is not the case. Because, you know, there's been, there's been some wine nights happening, you know, since my father died, but I'm hoping that, that this Wow. So case. you didn't even know yourself for sure know. at that point. I did not know. And I left there and we went and got a pregnancy test from her office, leaving her office. And I took it and I was pregnant and my due date was the 4th of July. And it was basically the first week I could have found out that I was, I was very, very newly pregnant. And my little Windsor Wayne was born July 1st of 2016, just, uh, you know, 10 months or so after he passed. Wow. That is, that is just incredible. So there was no doubt in your mind, you know, after that point, but it's true. You must've been just kind of inundated with people, you know, at the beginning that were contacting you. Wait, hold, hold that thought. Can you stay for the next segment with Karen? I think this will be a great conversation with both of you. Sure. Great. We'll be right back with Serena Dyer. We're going to get Karen Noe on here and continue our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Discover the power within Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. 
If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them completely and wholly, to heal from them as we must, as we are willing to be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny. As we move successfully through these experiences, we will find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant, and those things that are challenging and painful and difficult, are drivers for your own evolution. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Unity is proud to announce the first-ever New Thought Walden Awards, honoring 27 leaders who are helping to change the world. Some are well-known, but most are unsung heroes. They care about spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. Read about them in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine, or go online to waldenawards.com. Congratulations to all. Have you looked at Unity Magazine lately? It's been beautifully redesigned, and it's full of interesting in-depth articles and interviews from today's spiritual thought leaders. You'll find science, spirituality, and healing with a look at Eastern philosophies and completely new ways to interpret the Bible, plus the latest spiritual books and music. There's a little news from Unity Village, and some of your questions might be answered too. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Discover how to connect with our loved ones on the other side with Suzanne Giesman and Messages of Hope. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central as Suzanne shares evidence that love never dies. An evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and author, Suzanne brings hope and healing through her gift of communication with those who have passed. Suzanne brings messages of hope and love that go straight to the heart. Tune in this Thursday right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me after the break. This is Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. I'm Diane Ray and I've been talking with Serena Dyer about her life and her experiences and her spiritual journey. And I wanted to mention too, you know, she has shared a lot of her personal story in her book, Don't Die With Your Music Still In You, that she co-wrote with her dad, Dr. Wayne Dyer. So you definitely want to check that out. And before the break, we were talking about how she had first gotten in touch with Karen Noe. And Karen Noe is going to be joining us here in just a second. And Karen is a a renowned New Jersey-based psychic medium. She's a spiritual counselor and healer, 
And she's the author of three books on the afterlife and mediumship, including her latest, We Consciousness, 33 Profound Truths for Inner and Outer Peace. And that was released just this past March. And these are messages that she she shares from Dr. Wayne Dyer. Um, So we were talking about some of the messages that she had shared with Serena and her family um, right after Dr. Dyer's passing. You know, I'm sure people were just kind of coming up saying, oh, I've got got a message here for you. You know, you have to hear this, just kind of disingenuous. And then Karen just had this really incredible information. And Serena, so you were you were sharing that Karen revealed to you, you know, before you even knew that you were pregnant. And she also spoke with your mother and sisters and just gave them information that was just undeniable in their mind. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. There were so many different things that she said, and it was the way that she said them. It was a little bit different to each of us. And it's exactly how my dad would have communicated to each of us. And and her level of excitement, or I should really say his level of excitement, uh, being able to sort of be be there and have us hear his messages, because um, he had been, I guess, you know, trying to kind of convey to us that he was still here and to 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 remember that he was still here and he was just a thought away, just a moment away. And he actually had less limitations now that he was in the spiritual world Um, instead of the physical. And Karen was able to give us so many really specific, very personal, family-centered messages from him that left us all with a feeling of it was without a doubt her her gift of channeling my dad that brought him there. That must have been so incredible just to get those messages. And also just kind of the affirmation of things that he had spoken about in the past about his beliefs in, you know, what happens after you die, uh, that we return back to source, I remember he was just so um, supportive and taken by Anita Morjani's story that she writes about in Dying to Be Me about her near-death experience. And it, it must have been, I can just imagine what it was like hearing him describe what it was like where he where he is now. What did, what did you think yeah. about that, Serena? I thought that he seemed um, ecstatic. He seemed to be um, really wanting to convey to us that that he was right when he was alive, that um, that all of his, his works and teachings and beliefs were, so, quote-unquote, right, that the soul goes on, and that, um, that he used to talk about feeling his mother and father after they passed away, feeling them with him and how he could sense when they were there, and he wanted us to know that that was absolutely the case. And I felt like he was just so excited that he was able to continue the work that he had been doing here, um, but to continue it in a bigger and broader way uh, from this new place. And I have to tell you, that was the first thing I thought of when I got the call that he passed away. My first thought was, I can't believe you did it. I can't believe you pulled it off. And I just kept thinking that he pulled it off. And, And I think the reason I kept having that sort of bizarre line of thinking was because he had talked about the afterlife. He had talked about dying. He had talked about leaving his body. He had talked about um, just moving on to the next phase, as he called it. And and I, I was really just in a state of shock that he was actually now doing that. It seemed like something that was never going to happen um, in terms of just, I never wanted to believe it would happen. And then, and then he did pass away. And then he was, you know, communicating to us that he really was just so excited to be doing the work even more and in a new way. And, and he, he seemed thrilled and I was thrilled to hear it. Right. That's so interesting. I remember when he did a show 
uh, right after his mother had passed. And he was talking about those same beliefs, what, how he felt what was going to happen, uh, life after death and, and what that experience was like, was like. And I remember him saying like, he goes, I'm kind of uh, envious of my mother for being able to experience all this, this great stuff. You know, I remember we laughed about it. And then when he passed, I thought, well, now you're, you're there, you're, you're experiencing all of that, all of that beauty that we probably can't even wrap our heads around what, what that's actually like. So that that's got to be so amazing to get get that confirmation from him that he was right <laughs> what 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 it's like or what we have to look forward to. And I want to bring Karen on. Uh, Karen Noe has been working with Serena, and you guys have an event coming up. You're going to be speaking together in October, and uh, we can talk a little bit about that too. But Karen, welcome to the show. I'm glad that you could join us. Hi, thanks for having me on. Hi, Serena. Hi, Karen. <laughs> So it's so great to have you on, Karen. And so we're, you know, just talking about, uh, you know, Wayne and how how he feels being over there. And in the book that uh, you have you have out now, We Consciousness, you know, sharing those messages from him from that place. So first of all, let me just, you know, take you back a little bit. So you you had contacted Serena. You know, you met in Orlando at that event, and I think weren't you wondering at first, like why? You know, why am I being contacted by Wayne? Why am I well, being contacted was, by Dr. Dyer? <laughs> there were so many things. First of all, I didn't want to do this. I'm the reluctant medium. So I was sitting on, an, on the author bus going from the hotel room to the conference center for the event uh, tribute to Dr. Dyer. And there was one seat available on the whole bus. It was next to me and in walks Serena Dyer. So this is what happened. I, didn't con- I contacted her in that before that. I wanted to send her a copy of my book, Your Life After Their Death, to help her to heal after the life, you know, after her dad's death. That was it. So she sat down next to me on the bus and I said, hi, Serena, I'm Karen. I'm so sorry about your dad. And she said, oh, Karen, I just got your book. And I said, I hope it helps you immensely. Have you heard, you know, have you received any signs from him? And she said her sister Sage had a profound dream in which she actually, um, she felt her dad in the dream and she hugged him and she felt his hairy arms. So, you know, I said, oh, my gosh, that's a true visitation. So that was it. You know, we were talking and I said, make sure to ask him to give you signs and ask him to come to you in a dream and to wake you up after the dream so you remember it. So I went to the event and when the event was over, okay, this is when he started coming to me. I I decided not to go on the bus because I didn't feel like I was significant enough. Here I am, I was sitting on the bus with my favorite authors, as well as Wayne Dyer's family, and I was a fan of his. I didn't know him personally. You know, I said, oh my gosh, no, no, I'm walking, I'm walking home, and I'm saying to myself, I see, I'm so insignificant, I'm so insignificant. And that's when I heard him for the first time. And he said, get out of your own way. Loud. <laughs> get out of your own way. And I said, Wayne? is that you? I said, how may I serve? And he said, you're already serving. I said, how may I serve more? And I said, if this is really you, you have to give me a sign to let me know it's truly you. So I went to the hotel room and there was something very itchy inside of my shirt. And I reached in to grab it and there was a sticker that somehow had attached itself to the inside of my shirt. And on the sticker were in large letters, W-E. I thought it meant Wayne, first letter, last letter of his name. And he started to laugh. He said, is that good enough? 
And I said, it certainly is. And to make a long story short, after that event, he started after that one uh, beginning message from him, I learned that the WWE was so much more than W.E. Wayne. It was talk, he was talking about the we consciousness. Right. And you share these amazing that. truths in the book, 33 Profound Truths for Inner and Outer Peace. And, and as I was reading through them, I mean, I do remember him saying a lot of these uh, different concepts and, and ideas and, and principles, you know, he had talked about over the years. And one of the great things I think about Dr. Dyer, and you kind of share this in the book, that he had a way of explaining spiritual concepts and, and principles and, and stuff that you would think is kind of esoteric, you know, in an easy way. I mean, people really mm-hmm. love the way he was able to explain this to them and people could understand it. And you've done the mm-hmm. same thing with this book. Like you've been able to present a lot of these ideas in a real easy to understand kind of conversational way, the way he did, which I guess makes sense since he told you, he channeled <laughs> all of this information. So the way that it comes out, I think, is really in a, a powerful way that he would have done. Yes. Well, this is the thing. What happened was he joined forces with a group consciousness called the We Guides, in which it was hard to differentiate him from everyone else from that group. That group, in, you know, in corp- it had um, St. Francis of Assisi and some of the Ascended Masters and Angels. And when he came through as part of the We Guides, it wasn't easy to differentiate him from everyone else. When he comes through for his family, he comes through as Wayne Dyer himself, if that makes sense. So he comes through with his personality and all of that when he comes through for his family. Right. In ways that they would know for sure. And yes. one of the interesting guides, I had heard Dr. Dyer speak about St. Francis, you know, many times and he had gone to a CC and you might have been there too, Serena. Were you on that trip? Yes, to I, was. Italy? I went with him to a CC. Yeah. Mm hmm. And he had this profound experience when he was there. And you, Karen, also felt a real connection with St. Francis. Can you imagine what that meeting was like on the other side? That must be pretty incredible. (laughs) You know, that's the Uh, two of them together. And yeah, it's amazing. And and I recently went to Assisi as well and had a profound experience there myself. Um, Too long to explain here, but it's, it's incredible. It really is. And so that connection is really strong. So he's sharing yeah. messages um, from him as well as, and you describe them as other ascended masters and angels. And are is it the same group that's sharing this information or, or are they different? Yeah. Uh, uh, the we guides are the ones that gave the 33 profound truths. And when I said, why 33? Um, he said, because 33 symbolizes divine guidance and the spiritual uplifting of all of creation. I said, okay. <laughs> so I just, you know, I would go for walks with my dog and I would take my phone with me and I'd receive these messages so that I didn't miss it. I would talk into the phone. So it was, it was pretty incredible. But those first, uh, the first year or so, um, he would have messages for his children and his wife a lot. And he, as you said before, he has eight children and I was on the phone, you know, call this one, call that one at specific times. And it was always very uh, right on spot, right? Serena, I can't even... I mean, one was with Tracy. He told me to call Tracy at 6 a.m. in the morning, 6 a.m. Call Tracy now. And I said, it's 6 a.m. in the morning. I don't, you know, I don't think I should call her. And he just said, call her now. So I called her. I, I texted her. I said, is it okay to call you now? And she responded, yes, exclamation, exclamation. 
So when I called her, the first thing I uh, he said to tell her before she talked, he said to tell her, yes, he can hear her, but she can't hear him. So I gave her that message, and she started to cry. She said she just had a dream of her dad, and in the dream she was yelling at him, can't you hear me? Can't you hear me? And he said, yes, I could hear you, but you can't hear me. So Wow. So, you, yeah. I mean, you must have been busy, like you said, if he's – He's giving you messages yeah, yeah. and then you're making a lot of phone calls yeah. to people after that. <laughs> well, the information in the book, I mean, they're, they're, a lot of them are simple concepts and principles. Like I, like I mentioned, some that I know that I've heard him discuss, but they're really important. And they're, they're lessons that I think all of us can apply to our lives today. And one of them, just the first one, I mean, we can't go over all 33, but, but this one is one that I always kind of struggle with. And I know he's said this so many times, we are all one. And I kind of understand that on an energetic level, that we're all made of the same stuff. We're all connected in, in some way. But, you know, and Serena, I touched on that a, a little bit before how Dr. Dyer would always try to understand and have compassion for people that he didn't feel in alignment with. And I mean, I think that's really an important, important lesson to try to learn and understand and remember that we all are one and to overcome that separation. And when he first revealed that one concept to you, I mean, you, I'm sure you, you agreed with it. Did you feel that was just as important and, and why you wanted to start off that as the first one? Oh, absolutely. That, uh, it says it all. And he was telling me, you know, after you leave the physical body, you're able to feel this oneness because the body doesn't separate you from everyone else. And he was so excited when he finally reached that destination he was so excited to talk about the afterlife and, you know, the interconnectivity of everyone and everything and how one, what one does to oneself or another, how it affects the whole and that we're just as important as everyone else. Because a lot of times, you know, many of us, we give to everyone else, but we put ourselves last. And he said, you know, we're just as important as everyone else. And to understand we all have source energy within us. And if we understood that, the power that we all have, we could create miracles in our lives and in the lives around us and create peace on this earth. So um, he was saying that this is the time to do what I came on earth to do. It was the first New Year's uh, Eve after he had passed. And that whole you know, time before that, I was talking to his family, but I was resting New Year's Eve. I was trying to take a nap so I could stay awake for midnight. And as I was lying down in that uh, altered state of consciousness, that's when I felt him. And he said, now's the time to do what you came on earth to do. And I immediately knew what that was to try to promote peace on, on this planet. So yes, this, uh, when he talked about oneness, you know, that we're all one, uh, it truly resonated with me. And I know it's so extremely important to talk about this at this time on our planet. Right. Absolutely. It's an important message. And Serena, I'm wondering, what did you think of these 33 concepts, you know, when the book came out? Could you see or hear your father saying a lot of these things? I mean, it must have been, these are lessons that you've heard over, over your lifetime. Did it yeah, ring absolutely. true? Absolutely. Absolutely. These are lessons that I've heard him express. Um, some of them more than others, for sure. Some of them, you know, I heard more often growing up. But the entire book and the whole message behind the book is absolutely something that I was sort of raised on. And there are so many different lessons in there that Karen beautifully expressed in the, in the uh, We Consciousness that, that reminded me of 
the need to get quiet to meditate and to connect with my father in that way because I could recognize it as the truth. And he was a big proponent of, of meditation. I mean, he, he talked about using that tool a lot. And, and Karen, you, you mentioned that in the book as well, how important it is. And is that something you try to incorporate in, in your life, Serena? Do you have a pretty good practice or are you like well, me no, trying to I work really, on it? <laughs> I really don't have a great practice of it right now with, with a three and two year old. Now that they're both in school, I'm actually finding myself having a little bit more time to do that. I, like I said before, I listened to your guys' radio show today because I had um, you know, the space and the time to do so. Um, I, I do the Moses code meditation that my father was really big on the, I am wishes fulfilled meditation, or it used to be called the Moses code, or maybe it goes by both. Um, I do that as a form of meditation because I, I really need something to listen to. I know that my mom and dad were, are both able to sort of drop in in silence into a deep meditation. And I really need to be like almost hypnotized into it because my mind is so chatty. Um, but I've adopted that as my practice and I can't say I'm consistent with it, but I, I do it more than I used to. And I think that I'm constantly being reminded probably from him that I need to do it more. Right. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> He's probably saying, Oh, you need to slow down and, you know, and use this. And he did, I think it was called the Joppa meditation. If I remember that one. And I'm familiar with the one you're talking about the I am meditation. And that works well for me too, sometimes to have, um, you know, work with a mantra or have a guided meditation. There's so many great resources online that that you can use, you know, in, in addition to the ones that your dad did, that's really helpful. And, and Karen, is that how you were able to receive this information was by first getting into a meditation? Yes. Well, at the first time, he just kind of yelled at me. <laughs> As I said, he said, get out of your own way. And I'm able to pick up on these messages because as, as you talked about before, I've been doing this for many years. You know, I, I do that. I'm a psychic medium. I have people coming to see me. And, um, but this is the important thing. Praying is talking to God and the angels and our loved ones, but meditating is listening to them. And in any relationship, you need to listen as well as to speak. And if they're, they are coming to us as thoughts that pop in our head for no reason, we have to understand that most people expect to hear a voice or to see an apparition of their loved one, you know, but in reality, they're spirit. They don't have a physical body. And if your thoughts are going a mile a minute, you won't be able to hear their thoughts. So that is the key to everything. If you want to connect with your loved ones, you need to quiet your thoughts in order to hear theirs. Right. I love that distinction that meditation is listening because that's mm -hmm. usually when I get my best ideas, if I'm able to just kind of quiet down. And sometimes I've just said to myself, okay, what do you want me to know? I'm listening. And then I'll, and then I'll wait and see, you know, what, what comes in, but that's a great tool to work with. So Serena, I wanted to ask you, you know, out of all of your brothers and sisters, you know, you seem to be the one who is kind of stepping out and, and you're doing some speaking and you're doing an event with Karen. Now, is this the second one that you've done with Karen, the one that's coming up in, at Omega? Well, we have one that we're doing in Virginia um, in September 7th and 8th weekend, the, the weekend of that September 8th. Um, so we are doing that one in the ARE in Virginia. And then the one in Omega, I have a, a pregnancy complication that's potentially preventing me from going, but my sister Sage and my mom will be going um, to that one in, if I can't. But Sage and Karen have done several speaking events, way more than I have um, in the last few years. And this will be Karen and my second one 
which will be the ARE event in September. Um, so I think I'm not the only one that's sort of speaking out and kind of doing this work stages as well. Um, before my dad passed away, he and I wrote a book together that um, that he really wanted to do and he was really excited about. And he knew that I loved getting up on stage and telling stories and talking. And I think he kind of recognized some of that uh, fearlessness on stage, if you will, in me. And so he encouraged that. And the same thing would be true with Sage. He wrote a book, a children's book with Sage uh, before he passed away. But I imagine had he not died when she was only 25, they would have they would have done more work together as well. So Sage and I are kind of a team in this, um, in a way now where we have been uh, both doing more writing and more speaking than we had before. And like I said, this will be several events for Sage with Karen at this point. And this will be my second one in September. And if I can make it in the Omega one, I will be there. But if I'm on travel restriction, I will have my mom there. And she she will have so much to share in my place. Um, really, she should be doing this herself because she has the most wisdom of all of us in this dire family. She's just quieter about it. But how great to be able to kind of carry on the, the legacy in a way and also to work with your family and to work with your sister. So and actually, you're saying Sage is more like the pro now because she's done a few more events. She is. She's really incredible. And she's very funny and she's very charismatic and she also is fearless on the stage. So she's wonderful to watch and to see. And she's my, my little sister. So as you can imagine, I feel a lot of pride in seeing her do this work because she definitely has a, a very special gift and she always has. That's so great. And Karen, so when people look up these events and they want to check it out, so as you're going around, you know, talking about the book and, and about this work, so do you, do you share messages on stage if something hap if something comes through from Dr. Dyer or does that does that never happen? Like how like how does that work? I guess what could people expect well, if they go to the event? Well, we uh yeah, so we talk about whatever happens happens, you know, and it's it's great when the two of them were on stage last year together. We did the ARE together last year. They bounced off each other, Serena and Sage. It was just amazing. And then people asked questions at the end, whatever they needed to ask and um so we just, we took it from there. So it's, it's a lot. It talks, we, we're going to talk about Wayne's life and Serena's going to talk and Sage will. And then I'll talk about the we consciousness and, and all of that. So it'll be very exciting. And what's been the response so far from people that have gone to the events? So you've, you've done a few, you know, and as you're talking to people afterwards, what kind of questions are they asking you? Well, first of all, they were thrilled. They wanted to have us back last year. They, they, you know, we spoke at the ARE and they said, they please have them back. And they just were just dying to know what it was like growing up with Wayne Dyer. So they were asking Serena and Sage those questions. And what, what is it like in the afterlife? And how do we con communicate with our loved ones? Can we do it ourselves? You know, and they're asking all these questions. What about the signs that they're giving us? So we talked about all of that as well. Right. And I guess, Serena, you probably get that a lot. Like, well, what was it like having Dr. Wayne Dyer as your dad? And I'm, I'm sure it must it must have been amazing. But he was he was still your dad. Like he still would, uh, you know, there would be discipline and things like that. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, there, yeah. there must have been some some of that going on as well. Yeah, he was definitely a parent and he was definitely a very active parent, um, you know, throughout my life and, and my life with my siblings and my mom. So he was he was absolutely a very um you know, he could be very strict about certain things. He was 
very focused on school and making sure we got a good education and that we it didn't matter if we were throwing up in the morning he would say you got it out of your system good now get your butt in school you got to learn something today so uh he definitely had the the parent side for sure and i i would say that that's probably the number one question i'm asked is what was it really like was did he really walk his talk and the answer is yes with a lot of humor and and grit mixed in Absolutely. I could I could just imagine that. I love the story he shares, and I think you have it in the book too, Don't Die With Your Music Still In You, where he had spoken about how we choose our parents. And I think you said something like, "What? <laughs> maybe you could you could probably tell this better than, than I can, where you said, well, if I picked you, I was in a hurry or something like that. Like right. you, like you, See, threw, was, you threw was, back a response that was pretty funny. I was very young, but I um, uh, he said something about, you know, well, if you're unhappy with my parenting style, then you should have picked more carefully. And I said, what do you mean picked? I didn't pick you as my parent. What are you talking about? And he said, yeah, before you were born, you know, you picked me to be your dad and you picked mom to be your mom and you signed up to have us as your parents in this lifetime. And I looked at him and I rolled my eyes and said, well, if I picked you, I must have been in a hurry. Right. <laughs> that was so great. He used to love to, to tell that story. I know he revealed that a couple of times on the show, I could just imagine like this little girl with her hands on her hips, you know, well, I picked you. I was in a hurry. It's so great that you're able to share these these stories and memories and also the information that you're sharing, Karen, in the book. So uh, people can go to your website, KarenNoe.com and find out more. And Serena, I hope you continue to keep keep writing and speaking and uh, and staying out there. And, and good luck with, with your next little arrival. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been so great having you both on. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.